This is Doubting Mark, and I never listen to I Doubt It with Dalimar. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalimore. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to episode 311 of I Doubt It with Dalimore. I am your host, Jesse Dalimore, and sitting, sitting across from me, the lovely, the talented, Brittany Page. Hello. You are sitting. I am. So are you. I am also sitting. Yep. All right, everybody. Have a good night. (laughs) (laughs) You're feeling 100%. I'm feeling a lot better, yeah. It, not 100%? Uh, yeah, I would say 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still, you know, a little bathroom residual action going on. Oh. Some BRA, as they as they say. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Or would it be residual bathroom action? Uh, you know, I don't want to think about it any more than I, I need, already have. I need your feedback on this. I think, I think I'm good. All right. Yeah. Well, listen, before we get started, I want to I wanna give a, a shout out. Mm-hmm. To someone who's been a long-time listener of the show, yeah. some of you may know of, Nikki yeah. in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Um, Nikki is is having some health problems. Mm-hmm. She is not well right now. And we just wanted to say, take some time to say that we love you, Nikki. We we appreciate you. And I mean, just like we, we appreciate all of the, what I like to term as early adopters of the show. Yeah. She was she was there when it was just friends and family. Yeah. <laughs> Early on, like how in the hell was Nikki resourceful enough to find the show? Yeah. She did it. She did. And she's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. And um just know Nikki that we're we're thinking of you. We love you. And well, I I want to say that it's it's interesting because we've never met Nikki. Yeah. And it's like this with with many listeners, right? You know, we haven't met any of the listeners, I guess, some of them. Effectively. Yeah. And you still feel connected to right. a lot of them because of their contributions. And Nikki has sent in just uh, beautiful messages on our Thanksgiving episodes. And through her contributions to the show, we've gotten to know what a beautiful person she is. And not just the booze that she sent. Not just that, although <laughs> really liked it. Really good. <laughs> so we love her and we're thinking of her. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's uh let's let's just get into this. We got a lot to cover and we got a couple voicemails to get to first of all. So let's let's do that. Hey Jesse, hey Brittany. Casey again from Montgomery. I just got started on listening to the show. You guys played the voicemail that I liked about Wonder Woman. And then I had to stop. I had to stop the episode for a second. I got laughed out a little bit. Uh, I think you guys misunderstood what I meant by what I said. Yes, going back to Alien was probably... Going back too far, it's just that's the strongest character that I can think of that's been out there. Uh, 
but there's plenty of examples where this has happened before. Jessica Jones, the television show on Netflix uh, that Marvel does, where was the attention that that got? Like, they talked about that for about two weeks. And I sat and watched that with my wife, who's somebody who, <clears throat> she'd been looking for this her entire life. We, we had this conversation about Wonder Woman and why this is a big deal. Uh, because I, I don't really understand things the way that people understand things. So, you know, I, I see things in a different worldview, I guess. <clears throat> but, so we talked about it, and she kept going back to Jessica Jones. That was her, that was her thing, the uh, Kristen Ritter show. She, and, and that show, she's projected as strong. I mean, she has fucking super strength, and she can fly, and things like this. She's like Wonder Woman can. I was just pointing out that women should take pride in all these cinematic achievements. There have been plenty of them. Uh, I would argue that Princess Leia is a strong female lead and, and things like that. I just, that's the only point I was trying to make. I don't think Wonder Woman is the crowning achievement of, of, of strong female characters. I don't think she's the epitome, although Wonder Woman is one of my favorite comic book characters. Um, I just think we've had more, and I think these should get love, you know, instead of just throwing it on Wonder Woman. Yes, it's the perfect opportunity because this is a female-led superhero movie that's going to make millions of dollars. But, yeah, it's just, yeah, like I said. <laughs> uh, I'd love to hear what you guys think about that, you know, going back. Uh, watch some of these comic book property, and you'll be surprised, like, by how much is actually not just a chauvinistic, like, male dominance thing. It's really not. A lot of the times the, the woman is the cornerstone of these things. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to finish listening to the rest of the episode, and appreciate it, guys. So, Casey, we were just having some fun with you uh, last time, so don't don't worry about it too much. Well, okay? listen, here's, <laughs> here's how kind of it works. Is... And it's it's kind of like the bonus episode when we had uh, Dave Nav- uh, Dave Navarro Dave Pizarro on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said it, he kind of feels like he knows us. Yeah. Well, we it's it's weird like this whole you know saying saying hi to Nikki. We really do feel a connection to our audience, and I especially am. I'm a teaser. Mm-hmm. I I enjoy being teased. Yeah. And I dish it out. Right. So if we're <laughs> laughing at you a little bit and making fun a little bit, that's out. That's more of a term of endearment. Yeah. Or a measure of endearment than it is. Because if I was just going to shit on you, I wouldn't play the fucking voicemail and we'd move on to something else. Well, it was also funny. Yeah, it was Come fun. on, Casey. And, and also this. Let me say this about the... This is also kind of a problem of the medium that we we talk about moving the conversation forward. But it's difficult to have a conversation. Right. Where you, someone sends a message, then we deliver a message, yeah, then they send right. a message. It's like the Mars <laughs> rover. That yeah. We send it, and then 15 minutes later, whatever they tell the little rover to do, it starts to do. Yeah. It's a weird delay. Yeah. It's like the, the most ridiculous satellite delay in the world. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I think we're kind of talking past one another here. Yeah. But I will say it's it's interesting to have these conversations because it almost seems like people want to enforce this. No, there have been strong female characters all along. You're just not paying attention, right? 
And the point I think that's getting lost is kind of these these stats here. Women get top billing on only 24% of top grossing films. And well, first, before they, we give those numbers, let's say this. 52% of the population of the planet is women. There are more women than men, period. So when if that's the case and they're only getting 29% of top billing. 24. 24% of top billing. Of top grossing films. That is... That's a skew. There's something wrong here. And they are top lead in only 17% of the top 25 films in a given year. Right. And this is from uh, data from 1996 to 2016. So we, there's statistical data here that, that show it, but that then, there is disparity. Right. But then you take into consideration. So not only are the numbers low in terms of representation, but then you look at, okay, with that representation, are those all strong female characters? Yeah. Those leads, when they actually do get top billing, is that a strong female character? Right. So you have low showing with top billing, but then you also have low showing with top billing and strong female characters. It's even lower right, if right. you were to look at yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You're making it more and more specific. So that's kind of what people are getting at with this argument. And yes, you can point to examples throughout the years... Well, there's always exceptions. Right. But the point is, is that it isn't as vast for men as as it is for men. Yeah. When men go to the movies and the representation that they see, it isn't as vast for women. Yeah. Well, look, look, look at it this way. We're struggling here. In between this this game of telephone where it's delayed we can, we got Ripley from 1979, Princess Leia has been talked about, Jessica Jones, and now Wonder Woman. That's four mm-hmm. since 1979 that were I, there's I'm sure there's way more yeah, than that. Yeah, there's for sure more. But it's not every movie. Like, look at some of the movies we've seen recently. The what's that movie with the Chris Pine, the bank robber movie? The and the guy from Six Feet Under. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Hell or High Water. That's right. Mm-hmm. So that's a strong male. All the males in that were strong characters. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Was there a woman main character? Was there a female main character? Maybe the ex-wife. I don't. I don't want to spoil the movie. But yeah, I don't. Remember. Anyway, I'm just. That's a random. I just pulled. Every movie has a strong. You know, I mean, there's Manchester by the Sea, which is a little different, more of a tragedy. But, you know, in, in every movie is a strong male character for the most part. So these are the top 10 highest grossing films with female leads from 1996 to 2016. So the first one is great. Rogue One with Felicity Jones. Yeah. That was a great, uh, strong female character. And that's also very recent. Number two is Finding Dory. Eliz- <laughs> um, I- Ellen DeGeneres. I wouldn't count that, but okay. Well, that's the high. I'm saying this is the highest. Gross. Oh, okay, so okay. even taking into consideration when they have top billing, this includes animated movies. Yeah. When the woman is a fish. God damn, a fish. That right. forgets things. Not really. A, <laughs> uh, come on. Uh, number three is The Hunger Games. Good. Jennifer okay. Lawrence. Also modern. Number Recent. four is The Hunger Games. Good. Jennifer Lawrence. Recent. Five, Frozen. Kristen Bell. That's a fucking cartoon. I mean, it's great because it does affect kids. Yeah. But still, it's not reality. Uh, six, Twister, Helen Hunt. I have not seen that movie. Hmm. 
Okay, so yeah. I, I don't know if she. Yeah, that's a little. What older. that character is? She a strong female character? That's a high grossing movie. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Three hundred and sixty nine point eight million. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you gonna keep are you, going? Let's are you disappointed? This, let's keep the show going here. Seven. Inside <laughs> Out. Amy Poehler. Another animated. cartoon. What is going on? Eight. The Chronicles of Narnia. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Georgie Henley. I don't even know who that is. I didn't watch that. Number nine, <laughs> Hunger Games. Good, Jennifer Lawrence. Number yeah. 10, Zootopia. Okay, so almost <laughs> half of these are animated. That is shocking to me. Right? So a lot of these, yeah. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence is on there three times. So that's a strong female character. A lot of people yeah. saw that. Highest grossing film. That's good. But the larger point is about representation. Right, parody. So within the within the industry, within within between the sexes. Yeah. Anyway, we love you, Casey. We're going to continue to laugh at you, though, because that's what we do. And now you guys have random facts about how much money Twister made. Isn't that great? (laughs) All right. Now, next up is a little longer. Obviously, I, I bitch and complain about voicemails being too long, but this is a fan favorite. Jonathan from the UK has become a, a fixture on the program. He he's people write in and say how much they love Jonathan from the UK. And recently there was a special election in in England. In Britain. I don't know which is more appropriate or less appropriate. Mm-hmm. Let's just say the United Kingdom, Brittany Page. Yeah. And he has called in to kind of give us a synopsis of how it went down. Before I play it, though, I want to talk about, very briefly, just kind of loosely define the, the, the system of government they have over there, which is parliament, it's a parliamentary system, so, or parliamentary system, Brittany. Mm-hmm. And so they, you vote for, for the, the members of parliament, and then when, they're, when, when the party gets a majority, the leader of the party becomes the prime minister. You don't vote for Theresa May, or John, I'm going way back, but John Major or or Cameron or Tony Blair, you don't vote specifically for them. It's the leader of the party. Mm-hmm. So anyway, with that said, there has been a shakeup. Good news, if you agree, um, over there. Hi, Jesse. Hi, Brittany. It's Jonathan from the UK. Sorry for sending another message so close on my last one, but I just really wanted to share some excellent news with you guys. I'm sure you've heard now about the incredible progress that Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party have made in the UK. I mean, for someone who is a liberal and genuinely wants to see an alternative to the sort of centrist neoliberal economics being proposed at the moment, this is an incredible result and far more than we were ever promised. For those of you who don't know what happened, basically, the Conservative government had a small majority, about 17 seats in the country, and they wanted an election to go ahead so they had a mandate for hard Brexit, you know, for them to be able to go up to Europe and say, give us what we want, or F you, we're leaving. That was it, basically. That was the, that was the pitch they put to the country, and they thought, easy. At the time, you know, the Conservatives were massively ahead in the polls. It was historic, 20 points ahead. Theresa May personally was seen as the most popular Prime Minister. She was, a second, she was the second coming of Margaret Thatcher. She would walk this easily. They would get a massive majority, 50 seats, 70 seats, maybe 100, maybe even 200. And Jeremy Corbyn, he was the worst prime. He was the worst leader of the of the Labour Party that has ever been. He was terrible. He was idiotic. He had no idea what he was doing. 
And basically the idea was that he would just destroy the Labour Party. He would absolutely destroy it. There were rumours that they were thinking of going off and founding a new party afterwards just to to detoxify the brand. And then come election night, what's happened? It's true the Conservatives technically are still in power. They are the largest party, although now they actually have to go into an alliance with the Democratic, uh, with the uh, DUP, Democratic Ulster Unionist Party. These guys are basically, um, well, you think of the worst of Republicans, you know, climate change deniers, anti-abortionists, don't like gay rights, creationists, they... Basically, the, I know in America you see these a bit more often, but here you rarely, rarely see people like this. And the fact that these are the guys now having to prop up this conservative government is, I think, just indicative. It's, it's ridiculous. Anyway, the mandate for hard Brexit seems to have gone, but more importantly, Labour has a majority, and Labour got the youth vote out. The tenant among young people was 72%. That's the highest it's ever been since 1964. Everybody was against Corbyn initially, everyone. He only had two newspapers basically willing to endorse him. Everyone else called him a terrorist sympathiser. They called him a fool. They called him an idiot. They said that nobody with any sense could vote for him. And it's just, you, this feeling of vindication, it's, you, you, you try not to be smug, and I'm, I'm honestly not, because I, I'll be honest, I didn't vote for him. My, my seat's a safe Labour seat. I voted for the Liberal Democrats, my party, because of their stance on Europe. But I am as chuffed as anyone, I think, that he has won. And that he has won the mandate that he has, basically. Because the rumour was that afterwards he's gone. He's gone. He's finished. But nope, he gets to stay on now. And Labour gets to stay now as a genuine, alternative, socially progressive party. And I think the real reason I bring this up to you guys is just to show that Sanders could have won. Sanders' way worked. What the Labour Party wanted and why they hated Corbyn so much is basically what Hillary Clinton wanted. You know, they wanted a corporatist, a corporatist centre-right party, a centre-left party that, you know, was friendly to big business, maybe paid lip service to socialism through a bit more tidbits at uh, public services, that kind of thing. But basically, yeah, more of the same, Tory light, if you like, Republican light. But this has shown that people want change. People want a progressive alternative party. And I'm hoping that American Democrats can take a lesson from this. It is very likely we may have another election because, quite frankly, it's too unstable at the moment. There's no way the Conservatives can govern on for five years like this and conduct the Brexit negotiations. So what happens next, we will see. But everyone was laughing before that Jeremy Corbyn could ever even consider becoming Prime Minister. Nobody's laughing now. And I think that's very interesting. Anyway, glad to share some good news with you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. (laughs) Bye-bye. He seems uh, pretty happy. He does. Other than being chuffed, (laughs) I mean. (laughs) Other than that. I often feel kind of chuffed. But that's mainly because sometimes my legs rub together when I'm wearing really short shorts. I knew that that's where (laughs) that was going. Yeah. Anyway... This is good news, and it kind of points to me, you know, redirecting things back to my American-centric point of view, that maybe the Trump election was kind of a a slight market correction. Mm-hmm. And now people are going to realize, holy shit, this is what is in store if we continue to have a guy like Donald Trump at the helm. Right. And Brexit, the same kind of a deal. I think Britain very quickly realized, holy shit, this is not what we want. We fucking made a mistake here. Yeah. 
And they're course correcting. They're coming back, bringing it back to the center, center left for for Britain. Mm-hmm. And what I, I think center right would probably be the, we're really fine tuning it here. But anyway, it's good news. And, you know, congratulations to them over there for they're still working it out with the majority and they're going to have some kind of a coalition with another party. So she may stay on. But ultimately, it does look like they might just have to have another special election to to figure it out. Well, I wonder how much of this is related to Donald Trump and uh, watching him be a disaster. Yeah. And an embarrassment. Well, I think also it has something to do with the fact that Russia interfered in our election. They mm-hmm. attempted to interfere in France's election. And now everybody's very aware of this, keenly aware that if you're supporting those right wing totalitarian type of authoritarians like Donald Trump, like Le Pen, you're you're falling into to what Russia, what Vladimir Putin really wants. And people don't they're not digging on that. You know, that they want they want to do what's right by their country because it's right for their country, not because some foreign thug thinks that it would be best. So thanks for the voicemail from our UK correspondent, (laughs) fan favorite Jonathan. So I'm going to read an email. This is from Selena. Hi, Jesse and Brittany. It's Selena from Miami, Florida. I love the show. Just became a Patreon supporter and have been listening to you guys since episode 309. All right. (laughs) In that particular episode, Jesse said something that I was a little confused by. He said that he just became a member of the Democratic Party and was a reluctant Hillary Clinton supporter. Since you guys are Democrats, I just always assumed that Jesse was always in support of Hillary Clinton. But when he said reluctant, I then assumed he was in support of Hillary Clinton because he could not support Donald Trump. Does this mean that he originally supported Bernie Sanders or Jill Stein? Or did you genuinely like Hillary Clinton and her policies? Also, what is your opinion of The Young Turks, a progressive show on YouTube? Thanks again, Selena. So I want to say first that you, I've seen a lot of tweets where people are tweeting the Young Turks saying, hey, hire Jesse (laughs) Dollamore. Yeah, that does happen a lot. Yeah. I used to not like them because I didn't want to, you know, muddy the waters with working with, you know, the the guys over at Occupy Democrats, but eh, I like the tweets now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let me say, uh, I did vote for Bernie in the primary. And I actually could have gotten down with a candidate like um, John Kasich from Ohio, who's a Republican, but a pretty, pretty center guy, a pretty, pretty reasonable type of guy. I even gave Gary Johnson a fair shake until the Aleppo stuff went down and then realized he wasn't ready for prime time. But uh, Hillary Clinton was not a palatable candidate for me until it it became... Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. Right. And that's because I do believe that there is some self-serving, self-interest type of issues there with her. And given a better alternative, I'm going to choose someone else other than Hillary Clinton. I think she has problematic views on policing. I think she has problematic views on race. Um, Just based on her past history and statements and the policies that were supported by her husband and by her. In the 90s, which I lived through. I was in the Marine Corps during the Clinton administration. So I think she's, 
she was wrong on gay marriage. She was way too late to the party on gay marriage. When I'm a, a gay marriage proponent as a Republican b- back in the day, uh, and you're not, and you're a Democrat, something's fucking wrong. And I have the same criticism for Barack Obama. I don't think it's pol- politically courageous to come around in 2012 and 2011, respectively, for those two. So, yeah, I uh, certainly was not a Jill Stein person. I think she's um, a nut. But I mean, how do you be a physician and be an anti-vaxxer? She has very problematic views on science. Yeah. Anti-science views. So, look, I, I think Hillary Clinton would have been uh, far better for the country. And, you know, we, we would we would just have another, you know, kind of status quo type of president with a Hillary Clinton. It wouldn't have been um, doom and gloom or some dystopian future. But, yeah, I, uh, I think there were better choices out there. I think Martin O'Malley is a better choice than Hillary Clinton. I don't hate her. Mm-hmm. Just not not a giant fan. Okay, so... Thanks, Selena. We appreciate it. We have another email from Shuri. Shuri. Hi, guys. So I'm intoxicated, but I really wanted to email you guys <laughs> so someone would bring it up because wow. no one has so far, and it's such a great comparison. Trump pushed leaders and people in if power... you don't say so yourself. <laughs> Trump pushed leaders and people in power out of the way, straightened his jacket and posed proudly so he could be more easily seen for the photo op. He never apologized for being rude, to the best of my knowledge. The Canadian prime minister accidentally bumped into someone while trying to get someone past a crowd that was ignoring them. He then apologized an insane amount of times, (laughs) even when opposition said he molested them, and was sincere and clearly saw that it was taken out of character when taken without context inebriated (laughs) i see no fault in justin but this is a leader that listens to his criticisms and responds by admitting fault not deflecting and creating a cover-up our president is a snowflake i hate the term and had to endure living with family and friends that basically suck trump's hot dog for four years (laughs) and are so blind to the fact that trump is the literal embodiment of a snowflake But that is what our president is, 100%. I'm sorry this is so long. I love you guys. I'm so happy and grateful I found you guys and so proud to have such rational and insightful people to collude with when I'm surrounded by opposing views. Yes. Well, let me say, I agree that Donald Trump, it is the weird, it's the weird byproduct of this entire election cycle that this this snowflake thing has, has become so prevalent that... If you disagree or you resist or you're protesting, you're a snowflake. But Donald Trump, like Shuri said, really is the biggest snowflake of them all. Even this morning, they have this cabinet meeting with the full cabinet, and they just go around the roundtable introducing the cabinet members, and each one of them thanks the president and, oh, just heaping praise on him just because he needs that constant insane reinforcement yeah jeffrey kluger who's a i think he's a science reporter for time magazine he tweeted a picture of anthony the kid from the twilight zone episode where he wishes people into the cornfield i, I don't think most people are going to know that okay well whatever give, us not, give a give, briefly explain it well hold on he tweeted the photo of this kid from this twilight zone episode and said exclusive photo of real donald trump's latest meeting with rance priebus 
the the point of the episode is that this kid can wish people into the cornfield. He can light them on fire. He can turn them into jack in the boxes. He's like he's like God. He has God like powers. And so if you say anything bad to him, or if he finds out that you have negative feelings toward him, you're going in the cornfield. Yeah, you're well, going bye bye. There's a scene where it, it's it's they're they're they live on a farm, and he makes it snow while this dude's playing the piano. And his dad's like, you're killing the crops. You're going to kill the crops. And then he, he realizes, oh, shit, I can't do that. Oh, it's really good, little Johnny or whatever the kid's name is. Anthony. Anthony, it's really good. Oh, it's so good, Anthony, that you're doing that. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. You're so good. You're so smart. And that's what they have to do with Donald Trump. Yeah, but I have made this comparison before. And... Uh, oh, I didn't realize we were doing this. And <laughs> and no one appreciated it because, like you just said, I don't think a lot of people know the episode I or didn't something. know I the episode know. until we went on YouTube today. Yeah, I had to show Jesse the episode because he didn't know. And I'm happy to report that Jeffrey Kluger's tweet only has three likes and I'm one of them. So apparently no one gets it. No yeah. one gets the reference. Why hasn't anyone seen this episode of The Twilight Zone? I thought this was one of the big episodes. Isn't it called It's a Good Life or something like that? I'm not sure what it's called, oh, right? but it's it's the Cornfield Kid. The Cornfield Kid. I don't get it. Wish I had crickets. We need them. It's all the fuck we need. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good times. All right. Well, thank you guys for the emails, for the voicemails, for the communication. We appreciate it very much. If you too would like to communicate with the show, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdollamore. All right. Well, listen, we don't have... This first time in a long time, we don't have a new Patreon or PayPal supporter to talk about. Mm-hmm. So let's take this time very briefly to say that what we're doing is we're striving toward a goal that's on Patreon to add a third episode per week. And th- on top of you know, uh, supporting us to do the bonus content, the interviews and the different uh, uh, things that we do. Even the YouTube, that is what that money goes toward, and we appreciate every single dollar. There isn't an amount that you could give that would be too little because every little bit goes a long way, and we appreciate you guys and love you very much for being so dedicated to the show as you are. Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. All right. Well, we have been talking about Donald Trump and the Comey testimony. We have. A lot. (laughs) (laughs) We've also been thinking about it a lot. Yeah, that's true. James Comey, having testified under oath before the Senate Intelligence Committee, um, tomorrow morning, Jeff Sessions is going to be there testifying publicly under oath Mm -hmm. about the Russia collusion investigation and his role relative to his recusal 
and everything else that's going to come with it. Should be fascinating. So the other day, when, when the Romanian president was here, Donald Trump was asked, well, are you willing to testify under oath about your involvement and about the meetings with, with James Comey? To which he replied, 100%. I'm sure his lawyers were not happy about that, but that is his response. Well, uh, Brian Stelter from CNN sat down with Tim O'Brien, who wrote a book about Donald Trump and was subsequently sued and also won the lawsuit, by the way. But he has some things to say about Donald Trump and when he testifies under oath and generally about his relationship with the truth. I have a guest who knows how the mind of Trump works because he wrote a book about Trump. He's also seen how the now president behaves under oath because Trump sued him for defamation back in 2007. The testimony Trump gave back then, uh, it was really notable because the lawyers in the case counted 30 times when the now president either misspoke or exaggerated things. Here's how The Washington Post described it recently. Quote, for two straight days, they asked Trump question after question that touched on some of the same theme, Trump's honesty. 30 times they caught him. Tim O'Brien is the executive editor at Bloomberg View, and the book he authored is called Trump Nation, The Art of Being Donald, and he joins me now here in New York. Uh, Tim, you were uh, a long time ago my editor at the New York Times on a few stories. At that time, you were dealing with this lawsuit, I was. Uh, this defamation I was. case. You, uh, you prevailed in the case, but what did you learn when the Pernell president was under oath? Well, that his loose associational relationship with the truth uh, becomes problematic for him when he's confronted with documents that are contrary to things that he said over the year publicly on a wide range of issues. In our deposition, it turned out he had misrepresented how much money he got for speaking fees. He got, he, it turned out he had misrepresented uh, how briskly his condos were selling, how much money he had borrowed from the family estate when he almost went personally bankrupt, and on and on and on, issue after issue. And I was fortunate to have a great legal team that simply let him walk into that trap. He had said X publicly, and then we presented him with documents that were contrary mm -hmm. to that. Let's look at an example, uh, something from these depositions. Uh, this is we can put on screen. It starts with saying, have you ever not been truthful? Trump says, my net worth fluctuates. And it goes up and down with markets and with attitudes and with feelings, even my own feelings. But I try to be truthful. And then it goes on to say, the lawyer says, let me just understand that a little bit. Let's talk about net worth for a second. You said that the net worth goes up and down based on your own feelings. Trump says, yes, even my own feelings as to where the world is, where the world is going, and that can change rapidly from day to day. Tim, this was considered to be one of the most revealing parts of the deposition because the president's saying it's his feelings that are guiding what he's saying. As opposed to reality, the numbers, accounting. the facts, mm -hmm. accounting. Uh, in another part of the deposition, we asked him how he figured out how much his golf courses were worth. And he said he had no written documents that supported the valuations he placed on them. And my lawyer said, well, then how did you get to the numbers you got to? And he said, mental projections. Mental projections, which is another one of these phrases he uses. Back famously when The Art of the Deal first came out, he spoke about truthful hyperbole, his willingness to exaggerate about almost anything that came into his realm, people he had met, how much money he had, how successful he was. And, and he's never, I mean, we had decades now of Trump frequently lying or exaggerating about a wide range of things. Now, I might say it's just bluster. Why does bluster matter, especially now that he's president, the idea of being under oath as president? Well, I think there's a difference of bluster and exaggeration than flat out lying. You know, okay. he said during the campaign uh, that he had opposed the Iraq invasion. That wasn't true. 
He had said during the campaign he had only borrowed a million dollars from his father. That wasn't true. But you now have him in the White House. He's overseeing national security. He's overseeing serious policy issues like health care and the tax structure. And if he can't be straight with the American people about just bare-bone, verifiable facts, we're in a very difficult place. Well, we are definitely (laughs) in a very difficult place. It is interesting that we have a guy here who has experience with having Donald Trump under oath and a legal team asking him questions. And some of this shit may, some of this behavior, these lies, these, these mistruths, these exaggerations, they might fly in a civil case with a private team of lawyers, but this kind of bullshit is not going to fly with the United States Justice Department. This isn't going to, no one's going to be able to really look the other way and be like, eh, yeah, he lied, but what are we going to do? We're all just private lawyers here (laughs) in a civil lawsuit. Yeah. That's not how it works. President or not, when you go under oath, look, that's what brought Bill Clinton into impeachment was his testimony. That's right. Mm -hmm. He lost his, his law license in Arkansas for perjuring himself. It's a big deal that's not going to be overlooked. And Donald Trump, if if he continues with the way he's he's behaved in the past and performed in the past, it's going to be a problem for him. Well, it makes me wonder how his attorney feels about him saying that 100% he'd be willing to oh, yeah. go under oath. <laughs> I wonder if his attorney was watching that just sweating. Just like, fuck, shut up! I know, why doesn't he listen? <laughs> And then the other thing, and this is a very short clip, is Tim O'Brien, the, 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 at the end of the interview, described, because, you know, Donald Trump has been, has been threatening that he has tapes, recordings of James Comey and their conversation. Well, apparently, it is something that Donald Trump has, has made a habit of all the time in the past, threatening that he has recordings of private conversations, when eh, it wasn't always the case. You mentioned uh, that at one point, Trump, when he was suing you, suggested he had tapes of your conversations. What was that about? And and did he have tapes? Uh, Yeah, he said throughout, and he said this to reporters over the years when they've gone into the Trump organization is, okay, I just want to let you know I'm taping you right now. And he said it multiple times during my interviews with him. He said that into my own tape recorder when I recorded our interviews. But when he sat down for uh, the deposition... My attorney said, Mr. Trump, do you have a taping system? And he said, no. And he said, well, then why did you say this to Mr. O'Brien? And he essentially said, I wanted to intimidate him. And that is exactly what we're seeing play out right now in this Comey situation. He's trying to intimidate James Comey. He's trying to get him to back off of what he's saying for fear that their private conversation will be released And James Comey would somehow not want that out there. Right. When, to the contrary, what we've seen is James Comey say, you've got it, release it. Quote, unquote, it won't hurt my feelings. Right. So that backfired on Trump because he he doesn't think about the class of individual with whom he's dealing now. He, he, He only thinks about, he's like a dog who's been conditioned. (laughs) These aren't sleazy Manhattan real estate types you're dealing with now, Donald Trump. This is a different class of individual, a different type of person. That's what's confusing to me is how is he able to still not give an answer 
to the media about whether or not there are tapes. They still haven't answered this question. And the press will ask Sean Spicer, are there tapes? We haven't talked about that. I don't know. Right, right. How is that an acceptable response? He said it weeks ago. It is not. If there are tapes, we need to know. Right. Well, since we're here, I'll play. This is a Republican from Maine, Susan Collins, and she was asked about this matter, about whether or not he should give up the tapes if he has them, and this is what she said. I want to ask you about something the president has been cagey about, and that is these tapes, of course. So I wonder if you would support issuing a subpoena to the White House. Right now, it's just a request coming from Congress. Would you support issuing a subpoena for the recordings or any documents that might come from that? This is an issue that the president should have cleared up in his press conference. He should give a straight yes or no to the answer to the question of whether or not the tapes exist. And he should voluntarily turn them over, not only to the Senate Intelligence Committee, but to the special counsel. So I don't think a subpoena should be necessary. And I don't understand why the president just doesn't clear this matter up once and for all. If he doesn't, in a subpoena would be necessary to find this out. You support that? I would be fine with issuing a subpoena, but that most likely would come from the special counsel's office. So even Republicans, and she's a more reasonable Republican, more independent, like her colleague Angus King from Mm -hmm. Maine. But Olympia Snow was the previous senator from that state and also a little bit more liberal of a Republican. So it's not surprising to hear her say that. But still, it lets you know there are people uh, on the other uh, the other side, yeah. who are thinking that way. So listen, there there's a guy named Preet Bharara out there who was the U.S. Attorney from Manhattan. He was investigating Donald Trump, you might remember, and was fired before the the investigations could continue. Well, he was on with George Stephanopoulos the other day, and he had some things to add to this entire conversation because. He had inter, uh, interactions with Donald Trump. Yeah, certain similarities between the Comey case and his situation. And also, he's a lawyer. Mm-hmm. He is a high-powered lawyer who understands the law. And he's given his perspective in this first clip about everything that's going on. If I can just say one other point on this issue of whether or not Donald Trump knew what he was doing. And I saw, I think, over the weekend that Paul Ryan, who's, I think, in line to be president of the United States, he's in the succession line, has been trying to excuse this behavior. Again, putting aside whether it's obstruction or impeachable, uh, that the president of the United States is new to this and he's new to protocols makes very, very little sense when the president became the president in part by campaigning at rally after rally after rally that I saw and Americans saw on the issue of whether or not it was appropriate for the former attorney general, Loretta Lynch, to have a meeting on the tarmac with Bill Clinton. So he very well knew what the optics of that were and what the protocols were. And even though there is no evidence and no one has come forward to say anything untoward was discussed on that airplane at the tarmac when an ongoing investigation was underway with respect to Hillary Clinton, he nevertheless said, this is a reason why you should vote for me and not for that person. And for people to turn around and say, now that there is evidence that the president of the United States himself had a private conversation after kicking other high officials out of the room and told his FBI director confidentially to do something about a, a criminal a case that's pending, I think that's a big deal. And it can't be excused as simply being a novice or new. 
So this is something that Trump supporters don't seem to grasp. Or they just conveniently ignore this portion of the story. Because Donald Trump was very passionate about this issue on the campaign trail. He railed about it on and on and on for weeks after we found out about it. Yeah, and the whole idea, what did he call Hillary? Crooked Hillary. Crooked Hillary. Yeah. There was this narrative that the Clintons are corrupt. Mm -hmm. She, in particular, is corrupt. And that this is the way the family operates, right? Right, right. And Goddamn. now there are these... The sickening hypocrisy of it. Yeah, and now the Trump family is in a similar uh, problematic situation. And the Clintons are still real bad, but all uh, the Trumps are okay. Right. Well, listen, that, that brings us to the next clip, which is in classic form, along with what James Comey said happened with him, about the president sidling up to him and trying to get close to him, trying to get buddy-buddy with him, trying to get him to be loyal before asking for a favor or directing him to do something. The, I hope you'll be able to see your way clear of this, this Michael Flynn thing. Well, the same kind of thing happened to Preet Bharara right before he was fired. You had several encounters with uh, President-elect Trump uh, before uh, you were fired by President uh, Trump back in March, starting at the uh, during the transition, he invited you to Trump Tower, asked you to stay on as U.S. Attorney. He did, and then he followed that up with two phone calls as President-elect. He did. What happened in those phone calls? So they're very unusual phone calls, and it's sort of when I've been reading the stories about how the President has been contacting Jim Comey over time, uh, it felt a little bit like deja vu. I'm not the FBI director, but I was, you know, the chief federal law enforcement officer in Manhattan with jurisdiction over a lot of things, including, you know, business interests and, and other things in New York. Uh, the number of times that President Obama called me in seven and a half years was zero. The number of times I would have been expected to be called by the President of the United States would be zero because there has to be some kind of arm's length relationship given the jurisdiction that various people so have. So what did he say? So he called me uh, in December. Uh, ostensibly just to shoot the breeze and ask me how I was doing and wanted to make sure I was okay. It was similar to what Jim Comey testified to with respect to a call he got when he was getting on the helicopter. Um, I didn't say anything at the time to him. It was a little bit uncomfortable, but he was not the president. He was only the president-elect. He called me again two days before uh, the inauguration, again, seemingly to check in and, and shoot so, the breeze. And then he called me a third time when he became, after he became president. And I refused to return the call. That you didn't take because he was president. But on, on those other phone calls, James Comey talked about the president trying to develop what he called a patronage relationship. Is that what you think was happening with you? So that's, not the, that's not the word I use. I was in discussions with my own folks. And in reporting the phone call to the chief of staff, to the attorney general, I said it appeared to be that he was trying to cultivate some kind of relationship. And, and it may be hard for viewers of yours to understand if you're a layperson and not in the Justice Department. You know, what's wrong with that? The CEO of a company wants to call, you know, a field manager somewhere in the country because he thinks he's an up-and-comer. What's wrong with that? The problem is the Justice Department is different. And for the same reasons that Donald Trump emphasized how it looked when there was that tarmac incident and you had a private conversation between someone who had an interest in an investigation and the person who was responsible for, you know, advancing or ending that investigation, it's a very weird and peculiar thing for a one-on-one -on -one conversation with, without the attorney general, without warning, between the president and me, or any United States attorney, who has been asked to investigate various things and is in a position, uh, hypothetically, to investigate business interests and associates Trump of the president. Trump based in New York. 
hypothetically, there's, there's, there is the authority to investigate all sorts of interests relating to a president, which is why there are strict guidelines in place about what can or cannot be talked about. Now, I'm not saying that he was going to ask me about a case, although there is some evidence in the record now that after a period of time, given the Jim Comey testimony, there's some evidence that Donald Trump didn't think anything of asking a high-level law enforcement official to take a particular action that he wanted for himself on a criminal case. And then when you were actually, when he was actually president, you refused to take the call, and I guess the next day, you're fired? So the call came in, I got a message, uh, it, we deliberated over it, thought it was inappropriate to return the call, and 22 hours later, I was asked to resign. So that sounds familiar. <laughs> It's a pattern of behavior. This must just be because he's new. Yeah, that's it. He doesn't know. Look, he's he's only a 70-year-old man, Brittany. He doesn't know about the nuances of the independence of the judiciary. Yeah. Wait, that's something you learn in fucking elementary school. Listen, this is someone who knows what he's doing. Uh, not in... Um, most ways well well, he's doing (laughs) it clumsily but he knows what the fuck he's doing yeah he knows what he's doing in terms of trying to reach his own goal he wanted to cultivate this relationship and he he started doing it before he was elected he started trying to do it before he was elected luckily you have people with a backbone like preet bahara who pick up on it pretty quick. Right. Listen, they're used to dealing with slimy characters. Yeah. And I trust James Comey's judgment and Preet Bahara's judgment on this. You know what you're dealing with. They're also seasoned investigators. Yeah. So they, they've they dealt with these types before. It's not the... They're not new. Donald Trump may be new, but they're not. Well, and is anyone surprised... <laughs> by by this assessment. Hey, listen. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Let's go out to dinner. I'll get you some... some. I don't know why I'm doing that voice, but... Yeah, Donald Trump <laughs> is who he is. Yes. And, and we see it. Well, it's evidenced by the top, Tim O'Brien about recounting the tale of Donald Trump and his exaggerations and his lies under oath. We, we're recounting it now with Preet Bharara, Echoing the same exact type of behavior that 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 uh, James Comey talked about, and again, it's Donald Trump again and again and again. A tiger does not change his stripes. A pig does not change the length of its tusks or whatever. I don't know. Seventy-one years old. I think he's going to reverse course. And <laughs> well, listen, he's not doing it on Twitter because as soon as this James Comey stuff came out. They switched the narrative now to something about him not being a an alpha male, being a beta, or you know uh, what? What are they calling him? A coward. A coward. That's right. Yeah. They're calling him a coward. What was Donald Trump's tweet? I believe the James Comey leaks will be far more prevalent than anyone ever thought possible. Totally illegal. Very cowardly. Mm, cowardly. And look. <laughs> It is rich coming from Donald Trump to call another man a coward. That's rich. That's rich. (laughs) Well, it is. This five-time draft-dodging coward. Jesse. Jesse. Are you calling me the the coward? He had foot spurs. (laughs) Right. Bone spurs. Why don't you have the drop? I'm a little... What? The cowboy. Uh, Come on now. 
my little sound things, it only holds like 30 something or, you know. Well, that one's pretty important for when we talk about Spurs. Well, when we add a third show, hopefully at that point we'll have a little extra fun so I can hire someone just to run the soundboard. Yeah. Yeah. That's not happening. Because as it is now, <laughs> as it is now, it's just Jesse D. That's true. <laughs> so, listen, before we get to Corey Lewandowski, who also called him a coward or cowardly, or something to that effect. Not man enough. Yeah, something like that. Uh, I want to talk about uh, Donald Trump Jr., this strange product of inbreeding, of incest. I'm convinced that's not... Uh, something's going on there. Those two sons. It's bad genetics. Really, really bad genetics. Are you... If you're waiting for me to say something, I'm not going <laughs> to... The views and opinions expressed by Jesse Dollamore are solely those of Jesse Dollamore and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany Page, who is a far superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis. I've I've uh, apparently been very tame because we haven't had to play that. Yeah, well, you had that one ready, but not the cowboy. Interesting. Huh. Hmm. Well, that's always there. Oh. Because that's one that's necessary all the time. Just in case you fly off the handle. Yeah, because we talk about Donald Trump's bone spurs so often that I need to have the drop ready for it. <laughs> God damn. So anyway, Donald Trump Jr. was on with Judge Jeanine Pirro the, on, on the state-owned media, the state-run media network, Fox News. Fox News. And they talked about this very thing, except for the fact that, that Donald Trump Jr. not pretty much admitted. He did admit that his father did say to James Comey, I hope you can see your way clear of letting this go. Donald, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, you know, it's been a very interesting couple of days, and uh, I've known you a long time. Yeah. You have abided by that pledge that you took, where after the inauguration, you were going to focus on the business, you weren't going to get involved in Washington, and... Uh, now, it seems things have changed. Why? Well, I don't think things have changed. I always said I was never getting involved with the administration. Right. But I'm a politically minded guy. I always have been. I was way before we ever got into politics or my father got into politics. Uh, but, you know, when I see what's going on right now, when I see what went on for 10 months with the Russia nonsense and the smear, and then we see what happens on Thursday, it's like, give me a break. I mean, they're literally spent 10 months chasing a rabbit down a hole with essentially the sole purpose to try to take down my father. We were vindicated. I mean, totally. Why do you, why do you but, say you were vindicated? Well, God, listen, I, I think it's clear that, uh, you know, everything that went on in the Comey testimony was basically ridiculous. They're saying, hey, he never asked me to stop a Russia investigation. When I hear the Flynn comments, you and I both know my father a long time. Well, when he tells you to do something, yes. guess what? There's no ambiguity in it. There's no, hey, I'm hoping. You and I are friends. Hey, I hope this happens, but you got to do your job. That's what he told Comey. And for this guy, as a politician, to then go back and write a memo, oh, I felt thr he felt so threatened. He felt, th but he didn't do anything. He felt so. Also, what is this? It's like, give me a break. Uh, and it's like, oh, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Um, they it's like, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> they have very similar communication styles. Yes. Yeah. Oh, also with the arms that like they're connected at the elbows at the side of the, the body and they kind of go, rah, rah, they just like <laughs> flail out. They also sit the same way. It's like, give me a break. <laughs> but did you hear him say that? I hope this happens. 
but you've got a job to do. Hey, I hope this happens, but you got to do your job. That's what he told Comey. Donald Trump is denying flat out that that conversation happened. Mm-hmm. He's saying, no, I, I, I deny that that happened. James, uh, James Comey's lying. Well, you say, well, I'm not saying he's lying. I'm just saying, nope, didn't happen. Well, apparently his oldest son, the captain of the ship now, yeah. has, has information that Donald Trump doesn't have. Hey, I hope this happens, but you got to do your job. That's what he told Comey. It's like, give me a break. <laughs> it's really, really ridiculous. That whole, f- uh, come on. All right. Let's, I'm going to lose my mind. Anyway, let's get back to Corey Lewandowski and his, his, his continuing with this narrative. Because if Donald Trump tweets something out, th- this even happens on my YouTube videos. That there will be, it'll be crickets from the Donald Trump fan people. And then as soon as Donald Trump comes out with an argument, that's what they adopt. They say nothing on their own until they get marching orders from someone within the administration. And then all of a sudden, that's the talking points that everybody goes with. Also, Corey Lewandowski has been gone for a while. But when they need someone who is a little more aggressive to really defend the message, they bring him out. James Comey called the sitting president of the United States a liar, not once, not twice, but multiple times. He did it under oath. He did it methodically and seriously. He basically said, I will stake my reputation as a career prosecutor who kept notes, my word against the president's. Who do you think the people will believe this morning? Look, I think what we've seen with Jim Comey's testimony, not just yesterday, but in the past, is that he's made numerous mistakes when sworn in under oath. The previous time he testified under Congress, he had to go back and clarify his statements because he made a number of misstatements. What we have seen from Jim Comey, and we need to be very, very clear, if for any indication, any reason whatsoever, he ever thought the president did something that was obstructing of justice, he is obligated under uh, 18 U.S. Code Section 4 to report that. And if he does not, he is guilty of a well, felony. He's, he's now said, I've turned my memos of my conversations. To the New York Times. Wait, wait, but he's also turned them over to the special counsel, well, Robert nice, Mueller. That's mighty and, nice of him to turn them over after he gave them well, to the New York saying, Times. Wait a second. I've turned them over. So now, wouldn't it be a great idea, those tapes that President Trump tweeted about? Let him turn those over to Robert Mueller and let Robert Mueller decide whose word is right. Matt, the story coming out of yesterday, which was repeated by Jim Comey directly, was the president, uh, candidate Trump, President-elect Trump, has never been under an FBI investigation. Now, that's very clear. He was very clear about that. He told the president directly that he was never under an investigation. And all of a sudden, Jim Comey, who, mind you, is a career prosecutor, spent five years as the FBI director, was so stunned that he had a one-on-one private conversation with the President of the United States. He didn't know how to report this to the Attorney General, the White House Counsel, or the Associate Attorney General Wait a minute, to say, Corey, I'm though, concerned. You don't get to have it both ways, because if you like some of Comey's testimony, no, I don't like any clearly, of testimony. Well, don't you like the part where he said the President's well, not the under investigation? Other than that, he gave, his, he gave his notes. According to you. So look, wait, he gave wait, wait, his wait notes to a, a Columbia law professor because he wasn't man enough to give the notes directly to the media when he wanted them out to the media. What's happening here is that you and presumably the president are saying Comey's telling the truth when it's good for the president and when it's bad for the president, Comey's not telling the truth. That's not intellectually honest. So one, a couple of things. (laughs) One, I love hearing a guy who assaulted a female reporter talking about what's manly that's rich yeah uh two 
Corey Lewandowski is a 43-year-old man. Right. He'll be 44 this year. Talking about whether or not someone was man enough to do something. Yeah. When does that end? Well, well, I don't know because I get... There are certain characters within the news cycle, Brittany, within the scope of popular culture that, that my ire gets raised to the level of wanting to be violent. Well, I know Corey Lewandowski is not one of them. Corey Lewandowski is most certainly someone I would love to punch right in his fucking throat. Alex Jones is another one. We're not going to talk about him today, but we talked about him last night privately, you and I. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I try not to talk about him is because, like, he's. there are people right now who want to schedule, see, and I'm going off about it. There are people right now, I think it's Tom Arnold and Alec Baldwin, who are trying to goad him into a boxing match. Alex Jones? Yeah. I would love to get in the boxing ring with Corey Lewandowski or Alex Jones because I would beat them to bloody, quivering fucking pulps. Women beating. So I love how we were just criticizing people who were like. No, I'm saying saying. I I don't. It is. It's a natural thing that happens. To talk about. But it's not being mad enough. Yeah. You look very confused. I'm not confused. I Or is that judgmental? Uh those looks are very similar. Well, it's <laughs> it's just really aggressive. Yeah, it is aggressive. I'm not saying I'm right. Oh, look at me. I'm big tough guy. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's rage. It's fucking yeah. rage. Yeah. He grabbed the arm and jerked the arm of a petite woman, bruising her arm because she was trying to ask Donald Trump a question. Yeah, I already referenced that. Yeah, th- that makes me a fucking rage guy. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. Should I play the disclaimer again, Brittany Page? No, we're two different people. You react differently. I understand I get that. Fucking mad. I'm. I'm not criticizing. I am criticizing. Yeah, I know. It's okay. It's okay. I get it. You get angry. I I get very angry. And everyone has little fantasies of things that they could do and some people keep those quiet and you i well i i have a microphone yeah (laughs) (laughs) you do i do all right well listen this isn't the only this isn't going to stop here it's not just going to stop with james comey and robert Mueller has a job ahead of him bob Mueller has a a big job ahead of him because there are several other key players that are going to be brought in to testify under oath about their interactions with both the russians and with donald trump welcome back any presidential interview under oath with the congress or more likely with the special counsel would come near the end of the investigations and only after questions about other key players in the president's orbit have been answered the days ahead just might bring some of the questions some of the answers to those questions as the president's russia ties are explored by congress michael flynn the former national security advisor trump loyalist in the campaign a central player he took money made trips to russia had multiple contacts with the russian ambassador after initially saying no Flynn has now turned over hundreds of pages of documents to the congressional investigators. They are pouring through those. Flynn, of course, was forced to resign. 
Another central player, the president's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. A number of conversations with the Russians in 2016, not disclosed on the form when he applied for security clearance. That's one of the reasons congressional investigators are curious. His lawyer says he has nothing to hide. And Mr. Kushner now planning to meet with the Senate Intelligence Committee staff, that part of the process that eventually will get him to answer questions from the committee. So progress on that front. Jeff Sessions, as we noted, central to all of this met at least twice with the Russian ambassador in 2016. Again, he did not disclose those meetings on his forms applying for a security clearance. He recused himself from any Russian investigations, yet somehow took a prominent role in firing the man leading the Russia investigation, the FBI director, James Comey. His congressional testimony is Tuesday. We don't know the question of whether that's public or private, and that's an important one, because Comey's testimony raised several new questions about the attorney general's conduct and why the FBI leadership decided it was best they not share some important information with the attorney general. What was it about the attorney general's own interactions with the Russians or his behavior with regard to the investigation that would have led the entire leadership of the FBI to make this decision? Our judgment, as I recall, was that he was very close to and inevitably going to recuse himself for a variety of reasons. We also were aware of facts that I can't discuss in an open setting that would make his continued engagement in a Russia-related investigation problematic. And it is that statement right there that is going to be a major problem for Jeff Sessions, who testifies tomorrow at 11 a.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern, before the Senate Intelligence Committee in public. So we'll wait and see. We'll follow up on this. It's not looking good. This might take a little longer than we'd like, but it is happening. There's no stopping this train. It's on the tracks, and it's it's making progress. Taking care of biz. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Are they taking care of biz? They are taking care Ninth of biz. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. They denied a second appeal to lift an injunction against President Trump's revised travel ban. Which means they upheld the ban of the ban. Yes, blocking <laughs> the travel There's, ban. There is no good way to say it. Well, blocking, they blocked the travel yeah, ban. The, Again. The, yeah, that they maintained the block on the travel ban. Yeah. So, Trump's ban, quote, exceeded the scope of of the authority delegated to him by Congress to control immigration. Quote, immigration, even for the president, is not a one-person show. Nice. This is good. Right. This is something that he needs to hear. It's next, it's next step, Supreme Court. Yeah. The ruling also cited his tweets. That I like. Quote, indeed, the president recently confirmed his assessment that it is the countries that are inherently dangerous rather than the 180 million individual nationals of those countries who are barred from entry under the president's travel ban. And then they cited his tweet. That's right. We need a travel ban for certain dangerous countries, not some politically correct term that won't help us protect our people. It is so good that... Those that is a presidential record. It's a declaration. It, it, it is effectively an official statement from the White House, 
a policy statement. Well, right. So not only did they cite the tweet, they also included a link to a May statement by the White House that confirmed that all of Trump's tweets, quote, are considered official statements by the president of the United States. So good. So I don't believe he's able to control himself. Right. So not only did they put a check on his power and tell him this isn't a one man show guy. Yeah. They cited his tweets, yep. which is a lesson, hopefully, in not shooting off your tweets in the middle of the night when you're pissed off, right? Better than shooting off something else. Oh. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then <laughs> Sean Spicer saying, Well, yeah, it's the president it's the president's statements. Yeah, he's tweeting their statements, okay? <laughs> um, confirming that they're official communication, right? It's like Give me a break (laughs) to be taken that way. So they're taking care of biz because this was important. And I'm, I'm sure that Donald Trump will not receive the message, but we can only continue to try. But it's good. The message was sent. Yes. Whether or not received, eh, it was sent. Yeah. All right, everybody. We're going to leave you there. Episode 311. We appreciate you. We love you. Thank you for joining us twice a week or as often as you do. If you'd like to support the show by doing something other than listening, there are several different ways. One, you can go rate and review us on iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, I'm sorry. You can also contribute financially on Patreon or PayPal. And to do that, you go to dollamore.com on the left-hand side of the page. There's a link that says support the show. There you'll find not only those ways, but a few others And we're also in the process of looking for more. So we love you guys. We appreciate you. Thank you for joining us. It is awesome. We appreciate you for helping us move the conversation forward. Until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. Wish I had crickets. We need them. That's all the fuck we need. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good times.